Um, I want to draw your attention just to the very last page, which is sort of my attempt at a bibliography. I just want to I try to include this every so often, just to remind you, uh, every time I, I add new things in my research repertoire, uh, I, I want to add those to the back, basically, just to remind you that the words on the page that I'm reading from or the blanks that we're filling out are from these selected sources. I don't want to confuse you on any of that. I don't want to claim any of, these, any of this work as my own, obviously, but just to remind you that these are where it comes from. Um, you can feel free to order any of these off of Amazon. Now, I will say this about some of these works. Um, there are some scholars in there that I do not agree with 100% of what they believe and what they say. However, uh, as they say, a broken clock is right twice a day. There's occasions where they are right, and I, <laughs> I want to be sure to include that too. Uh, so the vast majority of them are, are wonderful, and you can read. They range anywhere between incredibly academic to uh, pretty easy to read. So uh, do so at your own risk. Um, no, uh, <laughs> let's get started this evening. Um, there's just a reminder of where we've been and the story as it's progressed so far. You'll remember last week Samuel died. Of course, he died many years ago, but uh, he died for us last week. <laughs> and... <laughs> um, <laughs> David, so there's, there's this question in the, in the text as to how David is going to, or, or how the nation of Israel is going to be protected when the judge, the prophet, uh, priest, and king, so to speak, Samuel, has passed away. David is waiting to take the throne, though he's been anointed. Saul is currently on the throne and chasing after David. How is David going to uh, maintain security in the midst of all of this? And so we get this story in chapter 25 where this man Nabal is incredibly wealthy and David is seeking provisions from Nabal uh, in exchange for his not having taken Nabal's sheep. And Nabal flatly refuses to give David so much as a dime and David decides for, for his men the best thing is to strap on their swords and they're going to go after this guy and they're going to kill him and kill all of his men and take all of his possessions and uh, on the road, he is met by Nabal's wife. Uh, Nabal, the word Nabal, of course, means fool. And his wife tells David, yes, his mom named him fool, and a fool he became. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Why would you name your kid fool? Um, but I guess she liked the way it sounded. I'm not sure. Um, but David is persuaded by Abigail's arguments, uh, and she gives him some of the provisions from Nabal, and so David takes the provisions and he is sure to declare there in front of Abigail that it was the Lord's doing that had kept him from blood guilt. That if he had killed Nabal, he would have been guilty of Nabal's blood. And the Lord has protected David and kept him from that, uh, from that path and so, and by using Abigail. And so uh, it becomes clear in the story that the protector of Israel, in fact, the protector of David and the protector of the, the throne, is God himself. It's not a man. And as, it all, as we also find out that the, the kingdom of Israel cannot really be established by a man. Uh, we saw the many problems with all of the kings and all of the leaders and all of the people that had come even before David and up to David and including David, that all of them were incapable of executing 
uh, righteous judgments at all time. And what we see is that what that sort of leads us to anticipation is not just an ordinary man that's going to have to establish the kingdom of God. It's the God-man, Christ, who's going to have to come and establish uh, the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, As it turned out, David restrained himself or was restrained by the Lord and retreated with some of the possessions and provisions from Abigail. And as Abigail told Nabal uh, what what almost happened to him if she hadn't saved his neck, he has a heart attack there at the thought of it and and 10 days later uh, dies. And so the Lord is not only able to keep David from blood guilt, but he also fights David's enemies on his behalf. And so this is sort of what we learn. Now, if you're looking, if you're reading the story that's happened so far, chapters 24, 25, and tonight, 26, form a bit of a character arc for David as we see him beginning to assume the throne. In chapter 24, you remember the main story there is that Saul is chasing after David and he goes inside a cave to relieve himself where David and his men happen to be hiding. And David reaches out and cuts uh, from from uh, Saul's robe and takes a little corner of his robe. And you remember what happens as soon as he does that? Remember, remember what happens to him as soon as he does that? He's, he feels guilty over having done that. And David restrains his men, but he, he couldn't help but just let Saul know, I, I, I could have had you. I almost did have you. And he, he took a little bit of his robe. And even that little, uh, little action was enough to tell David, oh, I, I don't know if I can actually be trusted. Uh, I don't know if my heart can be trusted uh, with Saul in my hands. And then the next chapter, we obviously get what I just reviewed, which is uh, David is now in the throes of anger and retaliation and goes after Nabal, and, he, and the Lord restrains him yet again. And so now we get to chapter 26 where David is, it seems, might have learned a little bit more about his, as far as a lesson, might have, have taken a little bit of a lesson here. Um, now, I want to, before we get into the, the text, I want to just kind of brief you on the geography that we're looking at, okay? Just, you can take a mental picture of all of this. These are the important sites that are going to come up in our, in our lesson tonight. You have the Dead Sea that's like right here, okay? Um, the wilderness of Ziph is where Saul's about to go. Uh, Hakilah is where David is going to be, so they're very, very close to each other. David is going to eventually end up in, in Gath, and then, or as a medium stopping point, and then he's going to be sent to Ziklag over here. They, uh, they, great name, isn't it? Ziklag. Um, sounds like a Dr. Seuss character. And then... Down here in the south is what's going to be referred to as the Negev, which is going to be south of the Holy Lands. Uh, so uh, all the way down really from the Negev down here all the way down into Egypt, which is down here somewhere over here behind the drums, um, would, be the, would be Egypt. So you, say again? Oh, sorry. The, the, yeah, in, in, in Hebrew, a B can either be solid or silent. It's not solid. I don't know what that word. Strong, strong or silent. And if it's silent as it is in, in, uh, in this word, it would be negev instead of negeb. But um, nevertheless, that's, I, it's, the pronunciation's ingrained in me. So often Baal will come out instead of Baal because it was just hammered into me for eight years. So forgive me. Uh, say again? Yeah. Um, okay, so 
uh, everybody got that? And, uh, and also, just one little mention over here is Mediterranean Sea, and these are kind of the, the lowlands. The Philistines were seafaring people, and so the land they occupied in Philistia was right here off the sea. They just sort of basically picked the first land they came to, I guess, and, uh, and settled there. And for the most part, they've been relegated to that area by the Jews, but they also occupy, they, they periodically occupy several lands in the middle. And you have to remember this because it's really important basically any time in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, um, the, the Philistines desperately want control of the rest of the Holy Lands. So they're, they're working in various little uh, outposts and things like this throughout the land to try to gain control in some way over Israel. And so that, that plays into what David's going to do tonight a little bit. So um, we get this. So the scene opens up in chapter 26, and the Ziphites, one more time, wouldn't you know, these pesky little Ziphites are wanting to e- either they hate David, maybe, or they want to get themselves into Saul's good graces. That could also be. They don't see the writing on the wall that David's going to be king, or, or potentially they just hate him altogether. But for one reason or another, the Ziphites continue to betray David. This is the second time now, and turn him over to Saul by basically going to Saul and telling him where David is hiding out and pointing him in the direction of where David is because they know Saul wants to kill David. So uh, somebody read that for us. First Samuel 26, 1 to 2 is in your verse packet, uh, first verse. So remember uh, in chapter 24, after David had cut off the robe of Saul, he lets Saul get out of the cave a little distance away, and then he pops out of the cave and holds up the little cloth that he cut off and said, Saul, I spared your life. I could have had it, and I spared your life. Now why are you coming after me? And what does Saul do right there at the end? Remember? Yeah, he leaves. He repents. He says, oh my goodness, what have I done? I, I can't believe I did this. I'm so sorry. I'll never do this again. I'm gone. Five minutes, <laughs> Five minutes later, here comes Saul back, ready to pick on him at the mention of the Ziphite. So Saul gathers his army of men and decides to go down to the wilderness of Ziph and camp out there and try to basically try to find David. Now they tell him that David is in Hakilah, which you'll remember on the map, if you took your mental picture, for those of you who have photographic memory, they're like a mile from one another, okay? Over here, about a third of the way from the Dead Sea, if you're working towards the Mediterranean Sea, you'll hit the wilderness of Ziph, and Hakilah is right next to it. So uh, he goes and sets up in the wilderness. Why would you want to do that? Probably some good hiding spots. Who knows? But he's sort of sketching out the land, waiting to see where David makes his next move so that he can trap him and kill him. Now, David gets wind of this and hears that Saul is on his way down and that the Ziphites have betrayed him. And so David is waiting to see. So David sends out some spies to try to check out where he's at. And the spies come back and say, yep, for sure. Saul is on his way down here, and he's ready to kill you. 
And so David concocts this plan where he's going to go and, uh, and, and basically let Saul know just how good he is at, at military type stuff, okay? So, and, and how awesome he is. And so he, he concocts his plan. Well, what happens is Saul gets down to the land and it's apparently nighttime. They're tired from the journey all the way back from where they were in Gibeah. And they get down there and they decide to go to sleep. Now, what is apparent is that Abner, who is the commander of Saul's army, is supposed to do what while the king sleeps? You're supposed to stand watch. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Abner, it appears, has fallen down on the job, literally fallen asleep on the job, and has just camped out right next to Saul. They happen to all just be there in the center of everything. No, no tents really to speak of, I, I suppose. But anyway, they're, uh, they're, they're camped out all there. The army is around them. David sees this, and he decides to do something about it. And so while Saul and Abner were both asleep, David and his nephew Abisha, or Abishai, uh, crept up to the king's campsite in the night, and they easily could have slain both Abner and Saul. Now, the text doesn't, Saul doesn't seem to give any command to Abner to stand and watch out, but David is sure to let Abner know exactly what he should have done here in just a minute uh, once his plan comes to fruition. So somebody read uh, 20, uh, 26, 3 to 5 there. All right, so David basically asks for volunteers, and uh, Abishai, his, it turns out his nephew, is the one that's willing to do it. It seems like Abishai is so ready to volunteer because this is going to be the opportunity for uh, Saul to die. In fact, he tells David, not only will we kill him, this is the opportunity. Now, you've heard this before a couple chapters ago with the men in the cave, and they say to, they say to David, the Lord has given him into your hands. And David cuts the corner of his robe, and that's when he's convicted. And he goes, no, 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 I shouldn't touch the Lord's anointed. Well, now his nephew says, the Lord has given Saul into your hands. I will walk into the camp. I'm going to take that spear, and I'm going to pin him to the dirt. Literally, I'm going to pin him to the dirt. And he says, I won't take a second shot, meaning I'll hit him right in the heart on the first go. All right, I won't miss. <laughs> which is kind of awesome to have somebody like that at your side. Um, but uh, don't fear. It's not, not, I don't have those kind of thoughts. But, uh, um, 
So, so he said, you know, so, but David, it seems, uh, does not want to do that. He, he says, no, 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 that's, that's not a good plan. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. David, it seems, has learned from chapter 24 and even learned from chapter 25 that the Lord is going to fight his battles. We're going to see that in just a little bit. Um, but instead, what they do is they decide to concoct this plan where Saul is laying down in the middle of the encampment and his spear is stuck in the ground. Uh, at his head, and then he has a water canteen right there next to the spear. And so Abishai, his nephew, decides to go into the, the, the plan is for him to go into the encampment and steal Saul's spear and water canteen and silently make their way out of the camp without anybody waking up and make their way across, uh, across the gorge where they're going to let Saul know about this. Um, somebody read for us there. First uh, Samuel twenty six six to thirteen. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai the son of Zeruiah, Who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David. God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. 13, yeah. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side, and <coughs> up on the top of the hill, with a great space between them. All right. One of the things that the author makes sure that we know, which I think is, is incredibly important in these kinds of situations, you'll see these little... The moments where the author just puts a little insert in in case there's any confusion. And it happens right there at the end of verse 12 that the reason for the success of David, the reason that the men don't wake up when Abishai moves into the encampment and moves out is not because of his stealthiness. It's because the, the deep sleep that the men fall into was given by the Lord. Now, David might have had a sensitivity to this, but how often do we miss these moments in our life where things work out and they work out for perfectly naturalistic reasons? The men were asleep. They didn't wake up. They were, they were sleeping soundly. I happened to catch them right in the middle of REM cycle, right? <laughs> All of them, all at the same time. They just, they were right in the middle of written, and there was no, that's the deepest you can get, you know, they, they just didn't wake up. But the author makes sure that we are aware, no, 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 the success there was given by the Lord. The Lord caused the men to sleep deeply. Uh, there are times, and you need to really pay attention to this as you read the text of Scripture, and once you see it, you will see it everywhere. How often the Lord is active in his sovereignty in the text of Scripture. Well, the Lord is the cause 
That's right. So, so we, have, we have the text of Scripture telling us and reasserting to us time and time again the Lord is the one directing the steps of David. And we've already seen in the past chapter that the Lord is the one restraining David from doing something that would cause him to fall into trouble. And so here, when David makes a sound decision, no, 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 who could possibly touch the Lord's anointed and not be held accountable for it? We're not going to do that. What instead we're going to do is make it abundant to Saul yet again. I do not want to kill you. I will not take the throne this way. And so, instead, he sneaks into the camp. The Lord causes the deep sleep to fall on the men and they walk away with the spear and water canteen to set up their next uh, journey here, or their next, their next move. Now David, it is clear, recognized the sanctity of Israelite kingship. And what's imp- uh, important to see in the text as well is that he, he left all of Saul's fate into the hand of Yahweh. It, it doesn't matter. Look, as far as David is concerned, it doesn't matter what becomes of Saul. Do you think David knows that Saul is guilty on a number of fronts before the Lord? He absolutely is. We know in the text of Scripture alone that he is. And in the chapter following 27 and 28, Saul Saul is going to walk into a witch's tent and and consult a medium basically to call up dead Samuel to get some advice. The, the trick of it is Saul has to disguise himself because he's already banned all the witches in the, in the land. Saul knows he's doing something wrong. We know as the readers he's doing something wrong. David no doubt knows that Saul is doing something wrong and makes it apparent to Saul every time Saul gets close to him. And yet you would think that this would be vindication enough for David to step out there and go, you know what? This guy really deserves what's coming to him. So let's give it to him. But how amazing is it for David to fall back and trust in the sovereignty of the Lord, in the goodness of the Lord, to say, in the end, the Lord is going to sort all of these things out. There's things that I see all all the time that are injustices of all kinds that I look at and say, I cannot see that person's heart But man, if I could, my guess would be that I would see wickedness. Right? We think that all the time, don't we? Of course. The reality is, that's true of all of our hearts. Every last one of us. And so how much more faith is it in the Lord to say, whether it's wicked or not, whether their motives are impure or not, I don't know. But I can be resigned that the Lord does. We've been told over and over again in the text of 1 Samuel, the Lord sees the heart and the Lord is the judge of man. And so David is resigning himself to that. That sounds awesome. How hard is that to actually do in the moment? I don't know if you've ever experienced an injustice or what you feel like is impropriety at the hands of someone who has it over on you? How often do we pray for those (laughs) imprecatory psalms? The psalms of cursing? You know, those? You turn to those. 
and uh, you know, invoke, invoke the psalm, the imprecatory psalm on them. You know, Lord, smite them right there in the midst of, in the midst of their children. <laughs> you know, uh, bring, bring, bring justice on them. Uh, and not that it's wrong to, you know, pray to the Lord that justice would be done, but I think we should be very careful because uh, I don't, I, I never want him to bring justice down on me. It's always somebody else. Um, so David trusts that the Lord is going to take care of these things. But what's also apparent is that David is not a fool. He's going to make Saul aware of what he's done, and he's going to call out to Saul and let him know, I don't want to kill you. In fact, I could have on a number of occasions, and I don't want to. Would you please leave me alone? And Saul's going to repent yet again. You're right. Oh, my son, you're right. Why don't you come down here with me? Why don't you live with me for a while? Be here with me. Let's be at peace. I don't want to touch you either. What I've done is wrong. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. And yet, David, I'm sure, forgives him, but is also not foolish enough to leave himself, in the, leave himself or his men in the hands of a paranoid demoniac. Like Saul, uh, look at First uh, Samuel twenty six fourteen to twenty five. Somebody read that for us. Out loud, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> and David called to the army and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, "Will you not answer, Abner?" Then Abner answered. Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept your watch over your lord the king? For no, for one of the people came in to destroy your king the lord or your the king your lord. This king that you have uh, this thing that you have done is not good. As the lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not kept watch over your lord the lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What is in his? What evil is on my, my hands? Now therefore, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, uh, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. <coughs> the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my, li- because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. 
Now, as it turns out, this is going to be the last time that David and Saul have an, have an interaction. Uh, I don't think that Saul wasn't ever tempted probably to come after David again or that he wouldn't turn, turn his back on his own repentance and come after David, but just never has the opportunity, it seems, in the text. But um, for one reason or another, they, they part company. David makes it clear that Abner should be killed for falling asleep on the job and not paying attention. Um, but obviously, at least the author knows that, that the Lord is the one that caused the deep sleep uh, on, on the men. Um, but it seems, as we talk about this character arc that David has gone through, it seems that there's a couple of, of, of lessons that he's learned even from the last couple of chapters. For one, he's learned, obviously, in Nabal's, uh, in the, uh, the story with Nabal, that Yahweh struck down Nabal. Even though David wanted to kill him and David restrained and didn't kill Nabal but spared his life, the Lord struck him down. And so it seems that, that David has learned that lesson here too, even by his own testimony in what he says to Saul. I, I, I'm not worried. And what he says to his own man, I, I'm not worried about that. The Lord's going to take care of Saul when the Lord takes care of Saul. That doesn't really matter to me. But he implores Saul to, to quit anyway. But the, the Lord has struck down Nabal and when Yahweh wants to, he will also strike down Saul. What's also apparent to David and what he's learned over, this, over the last couple of chapters is that uh, Yahweh can be trusted to handle both the fools and the oppressors when such matters are left in his hand. So the people that just act foolish and the Lord needs to deal with in his own time, he'll deal with in his own time. You don't have to worry about it. The oppressors, the ones that have you over the barrel and are just tightening the screws on you, the Lord's going to deal with them in his own time as well. And so we can, like David, and, and as David has learned, to just relax and let the Lord handle some of those, those things. David, what it seems, is not hoping in uh, Saul. He's not looking to Saul. He's not believing uh, Saul in any way. Instead, he places himself under Yahweh's eyes and in Yahweh's hand. He makes this a clear in uh, 26, 21 to 25. It's on the, the second page of your, of your uh, scripture there. I'll read it. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will, no more, I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. He still's not going to go into the camp. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in your sight, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. When Nabal died, I assume he married David, Abigail. David married Abigail, that's right. Before he legally inherited Nabal's property. That's exactly right. Plus all the many raids and things like that they've been on, which they're about to go on as well. <laughs> uh, David, David is, and his men are not super poor anymore. Um, like they were previously. Now, what is David's plan from this moment on? Well, he, he's not going to entrust himself to Saul, and he has to have somewhere to live, 
and he needs some sense of security, and he, d- he knows that Saul has a demon and is super paranoid, and there's a really decent chance, just like he did last time, he's going to turn around on his own repentance and come right back after, after David. And so David says, well, there's got to be a way that I can have protection and have a place to roam and land and some safety. I know. I'll go partner with the Philistines. Now, you saw that this didn't happen. So This wasn't so great the last time he did it, and so he had to act insane. Uh, he's going to give it a different, uh, maybe a different uh, tack, and it's, it's going to work out maybe a little bit better, but it is going to have some sticky moments to it. And it's pretty interesting what David actually does. So he ends up seeking asylum from Achish again, the one that he convinced he was crazy. He comes back to, he seeks asylum with Achish, the Lord of Gath. And uh, here's the thing that it seems like Achish is a little bit more responsive to David. And it seems like Achish has some reason to actually let David stay in his land or at least near him. There's some incentive here, uh, some political incentive that's sort of underlying the text, not specifically mentioned in the text, but you can kind of get the sense that some of these things are going on. First of all, we know that there is an irreparable rift that has developed between David and Saul. And so... For the Philistines, this actually works out really well because for while David has a rift with Saul, that means that Saul lacks the military clout, as it were, that he had under David. And so while David is at war with Saul, that works out well for the Philistines because they can begin maybe to move into the land and take some of the land that the Israelites had because they're militarily not as strong as they were under David. Remember, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands, right? So they, they, they realize, hey, this irreparable rift can really help us. But with David being at war with Saul, David now also lacks the power and prestige of having his people, Israel, around him. So it's obvious that while Saul is on the, on the throne, the Israelites, like we've already seen with the Ziphites, are a lot more, uh, they have their alliances cast towards Saul. And so David doesn't have any power. Saul doesn't have any power. So you can tell that this is going to work out really well for the Philistines, right? Uh, so they're okay with this. So uh, only once, this is another reason why Achish may trust him a little bit more. Only once in his years in exile at Kilah, David had fought the Philistines, and that was a defensive measure. Remember, the Philistines went into Kilah and and attacked the Jews there, and David defended them. That was a defensive measure. But other than that, David hasn't really picked on the Philistines that much. And so there seems to be some, uh, at least that he's giving him some credit, maybe, um, for this. The third reason might be also evident um, that David must have conveyed to Achish a willingness to submit to the Philistines in return for protection. Obviously, we know that's part of the reason why he goes out to the Philistines to hide under their umbrella of protection. Um, And so he's probably let him know that he will submit to him. We're going to see later on that the Philistines go into battle against Israel and Achish wants to take David with him because he's sort of a guard. He's a, a bodyguard to him. Uh, in the process, or he thinks of him that way, and David has to kind of play a politically savvy game that we're going to look at next week in order to kind of keep up appearances, it seems. Um, so somebody read there 27, 1 to 4. 
on the back there, second passage. And David said in his heart, Now shall I perish one day by the hand of Saul? There's nothing better for me that I should escape from the land of Philistines. Then Saul would spare seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, and he had 600 men with him who were with him to Achish, the son of Moab, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish in Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, and on not a, a hound. Yeah. There you go. Her, of Jezreel and Abigail, I guess Abigail and Nabal lived on Pebble Beach. Is that right? <laughs> there in Carmel. Uh, okay. So, so um, David eventually, he's living with the Philistines. He's under the protection of Achish. And eventually they start kind of rubbing elbows. They're getting a little too close to one another, kind of like uh, Abraham and his nephew Lot. And so uh, David sends out this little proposal to Achish to see if he'll take him up on it. And he says, hey, why don't you, uh, you know, we're kind of getting close to one another. Why don't you give me some land? Why don't you give me a place to stay? Why don't you give me somewhere to go, and I'll get out of your hair, and I'll live here with, in Philistine country, and I won't do you any harm. We'll just be out of your way, and you'll be out of our way, and everything will be fine. And it seems like David is actually taking a position of, I'll be your servant, right? I'll, I'll, I'll serve you. And so Achish takes him up on it and actually gives him the town of Ziklag, so that he can live. We see that in uh, 27, five to seven. It says, then David said to Achish, I have found favor in, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? Oh man, he's selling it thick. So that day, so that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Okay, so he gives him Ziklag. Now David has to play this sort of politically savvy game because David is a Jew and he's, a, he's the next king on the Jewish throne and he has no intention whatsoever of being alleged to the Philistines. He hates the Philistines. Now, what is he going to do? Because he's sitting there and he needs food. His people need possessions. They need property. They need all kinds of things. And he's there in Ziklag with his army men. So they go out raiding. And they raid the Geshurites, the Gerzites, the Amalekites. They raid a lot of enemies. You know what these enemies have in common? You said? Joshua. What does that mean, Joshua? Okay. These, these people, these uh, individuals, these clans, these tribes, the Amalekites, and all that, are enemies of the Jews. These are the people that Joshua was supposed to drive out from the beginning. David is establishing the kingdom of God while he's living in Philistine country. He's continuing to do the work of God there in Philistine country while he gives their protection. Now, how do you think that Achish would respond to David doing the work of a Jew and doing God's work there in, under his protection. Probably wouldn't be great. It would tell Achish that David's alliance, his allegiance, is with Israel and not with the Philistines. So, David has to, well, well maybe... That might, be, that, might be a little, that might be a little harsh on David. He has to just 
well, you'll see. Look at 27, 8 to 12. Somebody read that out loud for me. So the implication here is that, uh, that he's going into the Negev. He's telling, uh, he's telling Achish that he's going into the Negev, and it makes it sound like that he's going against Israel, but he's actually working for Israel. And what does he do so that no one would contradict his story? Just kills them all so there's no minority report. <laughs> How genius is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty shrewd, right? <laughs> it, it's pretty shrewd. He, he just sort of goes into the land and he kills them all. And uh, he, do a, it's kind of cold-blooded. Yeah, there's, uh, he's, not, he, it, it, he's not giving this as a sacrifice to the Lord, but he is driving out the Lord's enemies. Um, this would have been, the, the practice would have been harim, for any Israelite that goes against the Amalekites. We saw back several chapters ago, Saul was supposed to take the Amalekites and destroy, burn them to the ground. All of them. Some of them are still left. He left some of them around, and, um, he, but he was supposed to burn them all to the ground. David actually burns them all to the ground. He just doesn't do it for the same reason. It's not necessarily an offering to the Lord. It's so that nobody gives a minority report while he's living in Philistine country. This is so he doesn't get killed by the Philistines coming against him, but it also builds loyalties. So what it appears he implies to, he kind of has, he's trying to work out the best of both worlds here. He implies to Achish that he has a, a, a hostility towards the Jews, a Judahite hostility, hostility. Say that 10 times fast. And, but then at the same time, he's driving out Israel's enemies. So what is that doing for him with Israel? Yeah, he gained some credibility with Israelites. So there, he gains the appreciation and the loyalty of Judah, who are plagued by these enemies down there in the Negev. And so while it looks like he's going up against Judah, for the most part, he is actually working for Judah. And what we're going to see is right before Saul dies next week, uh, should probably get there next week, what we're going to see is that he takes some of these things that he's gained from the people that he's pillaged and plundered and he sends them to Judah as a gift right before he's supposed to go into battle as a Philistine. So did David imply or did he lie? Well, that's a good question. That's like a bold lie. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was just wondering. That's a, it's a good question. There is there there perhaps there perhaps may be uh, a bending of the truth. I'll say it. Let me say it this way. Let me let me put it this way. The text of Scripture. 
does not give me warrant to call David a liar. I agree. Okay? You call him an implier. So, that being said, <laughs> is, what, is what he is doing uh, morally wrong? The text of Scripture doesn't tell us that and leads us to believe that was permissible. Now, so what David did to Akesh to kind of keep both people at bay, uh, I don't know. I'm going to just stick with Scripture and say that's what he did. I'll let God sort out whether or not it was a sin. So it's not prescriptive for us either way. Yeah, and, and there, yeah. There, there's a, yeah, there's a lot that we could probably say there and, and talk about, but yeah, David. Yes, um, that's, yeah, and, and that's probably going to be more when he's on the throne than anything else, but, but for sure, for sure, yeah, he is a man of war, that's, there's no question about it. Yeah, um, you know, it, we get the same questions when you go to, uh, when you go to China and you're there to do mission work. And you're asked at the border, what are you here for? And you say, tourism. You know? And that's uh, true. Right. I, I, I have a feeling it's probably just as true as what David is telling Akish. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, again, moral complexities like this. How much freedom does David have? I'm going to let the Lord sort out some of this. But... Uh, he he did he does he doesn't at least at least in the in the text here no he doesn't um, and I can't remember on into Second Samuel once he takes the throne I know he has some wars with the Philistines but I'm not exactly sure if he, if Achish is on the throne then we'll we'll see um, but yeah so so there is some moral ambiguity uh, it, as far as what David does here and how much is David uh, guilty of, of of sin there the text just doesn't give me warrant to be able to say that. But uh, I can say that what he did works. It was small. Yeah, he, it was, uh, it, hopefully, we'll say, hopefully it's uh, wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. You know, when we travel to the sticks of China and we go, we're here for tourism. And the guard kind of looks at you like, <laughs> what could you possibly see in this town? You know? <laughs> And you're like, all the many sites, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> we want to talk to your people and find out what's all serious. Uh, yeah. Well, usually most missionaries go in as scholars, they pretend to. Yeah. Not in China, they don't. <laughs> not, not anymore. Uh, not under President Xi, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, let's pray and then we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather together to look at your word and um, we pray that above all else we land where David does, leaving things in your hand and trusting you in all things. We know there are plenty of people who would seek to either take advantage of us or uh, have some sort of nefarious motives um, in our life. And I pray that you would just give us the resolve to be at peace and let you work the things out that you want to work out and let justice take, uh, take hold whenever you, we, you choose to exert it. And for our part, we just maintain an upright posture in righteousness and holiness and continue to submit ourselves to your will. And I pray that in that we be at peace knowing that you take care of all things.
So, Father, I pray that we would also look at our own life and see the many ways that your sovereignty and your hand has worked in ways that we cannot see but is clearly evident to us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.